All right, we're going to continue our study in the book of Philippians this morning. We've been looking at different exhortations that Paul has given, and today we're going to look at exhortations concerning our thoughts. Last week we saw exhortations concerning our heart. Before that, we saw exhortations concerning our position and disposition. In case you haven't noticed, Paul's given a lot of exhortations in this portion of Scripture. We saw last week that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. We're in Philippians chapter 4, if I didn't say that already. Your heart is full of what your thoughts are dwelling on. And if you meditate on something long enough, it's what's going to come out. We have a crime, we call it premeditated murder, right? That means the action happened long before happened in somebody's mind long before the actual action happened. They premeditated, they thought this out, and then carried it out. So as we reflect on our thoughts, what are your thoughts full of? What does your mind dwell on? Because what your mind is thinking on is what you're going to act upon. Think in 2001, when we had the attacks on our nation, those individuals had trained for years to be able to do the crimes they did that day. It was premeditated, thought through well in advance. Negative actions will follow negative thinking. Positive actions follow positive thinking. Now, before you say, wow, that sounds very flowery like the humanist, Okay, I'm not saying, hey, think you're going to be rich and you're going to get rich. That's not what I'm saying. Our natural reaction toward other people is to think the absolute worst of them. That is the human heart at its deceptive nature. When somebody does something to you or says something, to think the wrong motive for doing it. By the way, this is why face-to-face conversations are so much better than texting or emails or any written type thing because you do not hear voice inflection, you do not see body language on a text message. And so Ed writes me a text saying, Pastor, we need to talk. Okay, and he's like, you know, very urgent about this. Pastor, we need to talk now is the way he's thinking about this, right? When I see it, I hear, I read, Pastor, we need to talk, right? That's the way I read it. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. (laughs) But is that not how we will typically read a text message? Right? Because you didn't see, I didn't see his voice or hear his voice. I didn't see his body language. I didn't realize that he had something that he really needed, you know, urgent me for me to come over and pray with him about. What I heard, because I didn't hear it, what I saw in the text message was, we're going to talk, buddy, and you're in trouble this time. Right? Is that not how our minds work? We've got to train our minds to think differently. So that when Ed sends me the text message, I'm like, oh, I hope everything's all right with Ed. Let me call him back real quick and see what's going on because I hate texting. I'll give you one text, maybe two, if if I'm in a good mood. By the third time, I'm calling you because I hate texting, okay? My fat fingers will always hit the wrong buttons. I was trying to type in my password just a minute ago, and I did it wrong four times. It didn't, fortunately, but yes, and that is a problem. 
we've got to reprogram our minds to think properly. And so Paul gives this exhortation concerning our thoughts. And there are eight points we're going to look at this morning. Hopefully get through all eight this morning. And they come right from the text. Let's go ahead and read Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Being a commissioner for five years, which ends tomorrow, if you want to come watch my last day, I have learned a lot about myself that I did not know. My thieving, my lack of integrity, my, I mean, you name it. Because people, I, mean, I had one guy one time, 11 o'clock at night, send me a message on Messenger that his water went out. And so... He's demanding to know, why did my water go out? Well, on Messenger, when you read it, it shows that you read it, right? So I read this thing. It says, why is my water out? And it was in a very angry tone, okay? But the language he used showed me it was in an angry tone. Let's put it that way, okay? So I called the city manager. I figure if I'm going to be bothered with this 11 o'clock at night, so the city manager is going to be bothered with this 11 o'clock at night. So I called him and said, got this... Uh, Guy over in such and such a neighborhood wanting to know why his water's out. Oh, yeah. And he tells me the whole story of what's going on. Well, in the meantime, the guy is sitting there posting on Facebook and sending me messages on Messenger saying, you know I can re see that you read this. Why are you ignoring me? You're absolutely worthless. And he's going on and on and on and on about how worthless I am because I'm not answering his question as I'm trying to get the answer to his question. And he posted on a one of those neighborhood things, it's your neighborhood, by the way, uh, on Facebook. <laughs> it was not Ed, it's his neighborhood, though, okay? <laughs> Showing, you know, anyhow, and, and it was funny because a lot of the neighbors were like, he's probably looking up the answer for you. Why don't you give him a break? And actually, people came to my defense, which I was happy for. But anyhow, so I finally answer him as nicely as I can, and he still starts barking at me, and so I just ended the conversation. But anyhow, is that not how we typically treat others? We don't think things that are true, honest, lovely, of good report. We think, you're ignoring me. You're a jerk. You know, and why do we do that to one another? Christian, our thinking needs to be different than the world's thinking. And what God is saying, part of the renewing of our mind is allowing the Holy Spirit to change the way we think. Instead of the natural man that thinks that everybody's dishonest, out to get me, and, you know, whatever, that we actually think good of other believers brothers and sisters in Christ. We should give them the benefit of the doubt. You ever consider that? What a concept. I had a pastor who used to put it this way. He said, why don't we allow a man's reputation to precede him? If somebody has always been honest and genuine with you, then why would you automatically assume that they have turned on you? Why don't you just let that reputation proceed? And say, They've always been honest with me. They've always dealt with me with integrity. Maybe I misunderstood what they said. And here's another problem. When we misunderstand, we don't ask for clarification. 
Christian, you and I need to learn how to communicate much better than we do. I sometimes have misunderstood others and come to some really horrible conclusions. I have been misunderstood by others who have come to some really horrible conclusions. Let's learn to talk. Let's learn to communicate. So let's start running through these and looking at the time. We may not get through all of them. But we're to think on things that are true. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are truth. Interesting, one of the questions Pilate asked Jesus in John 18 was, what is truth? What is truth? Because the world has tried to take truth and make it subjective. You have your truth, and I have my truth. So I blow this one out of the water very easily. Okay, my truth is now, I want your house, your car, your things, so I'm going to kill you and your family and take everything you have. Oh no, that's not truth. Why not? It's my truth. Well, that's just not right. You know, it, and it goes also with the, there's no absolutes. Well, yes, they realize all of a sudden there are some absolutes. But you and I need to be honest in all our dealings. John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. I made one decision as a commissioner that I regret what I did before I made the decision, and that is I promised people, I'll tell you the story. There's a housing unit over behind Walmart. The guy who was presenting to us had a real bad attitude, and he acted like, a snake in the grass. He came back a couple months later and wanted to do a, a part two of his housing. This guy had been such a very nasty toward the board to the point the mayor almost stopped his presentation. And I was so angry with the man, I said to people, he'll never get anything from me. I said, he'll never get phase two out of this. I will vote against it because I was judging the man. So I made a promise to several citizens that I would vote no on that issue. That night, sitting on the dais, the mayor said something, and the Holy Spirit convicted me that I was making a decision based on emotion and not on fact that our city needs more housing. And despite this man's attitude, I had a responsibility to the citizens to do the right thing. We had already taken the first vote that he was out of compliance, or I said he was out of compliance because I was so mad at him, I wasn't going to get anything from me. I asked the mayor, I said, could you recall the question? And he did, and I changed my vote. And then when we voted to approve, I voted to approve instead of disapprove. I had two particular people in this city to this day still say, you lost your integrity, you're a liar. I've apologized to him but I can't change the fact that I had made a promise and they are right. I did not keep that promise. Be careful what you promise. I will say if you ever run for politics, your best option is don't promise anything. And I tried explaining to them I had to change because my motive was wrong. And they said, well, you promised me you're a liar. You lost your integrity. So if you ever hear that about me, it may be one of those two individuals who still will hold that against me. And I, I, you know what? I'm going to tell you. I did make a promise to him, and I broke my promise to him. I'm a politician. But the truth is, folks, 
We need to learn from situations like that. Be honest in all your dealings. Be careful what you say. Be careful what you promise. Because people should rightfully be able to hold you accountable for what you said and you promised. It was one of those catch-22 situations. No matter what decision I made at that point, I was going to be wrong. Either I was going to violate my conscience or I was going to lie to people. So either way, it was a bad choice. And my point being this, I tell you that because I want to be transparent with you. Don't put yourself in those situations. Pray about things and allow the Holy Spirit to lead. Don't, don't make emotional decisions. Now, if you all think that I'm a lying preacher and you want to fire me, well, we can have a business meeting afterward, all right? But it's through the truth of God's Word that we know who God is because He revealed Himself to us. It's through the truth of God's Word that we see our need for salvation. It's through the truth of God's Word that we understand how to be sanctified, how to be more Christ-like day by day. So you and I need to focus on things that are true. Then he says things that... Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest or worthy of honor, things that are dignified, there are those who deserve honor. Romans 13, 7, Render therefore unto all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. You know, the President of the United States deserves honor, not necessarily because of who the individual is, but because of the position they hold. And here's the problem. We have allowed in our society so much um, slandering and name-calling of people in authority that it has become commonplace, and it's disgracing the office which they hold to where there's no respect for any of the offices anymore, and that is a problem in our society, is it not? Listen, there should be a certain respect for a pastor, not because we're somebody special, but because of the office God has called us to, okay? Do we give proper respect and tribute to whom tribute is due? My kids will tell you when they were younger, when we see a police officer, I'd say go up and shake their hand and thank them. My son, I think, still does it today because it's trying to train them, give honor to whom honor is due, especially the last several years when some of this stuff against police has been happening. Don't you think it would be good to just let them know, hey, I appreciate you. This is why we have things like Memorial Day and Veterans Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day. We have now, what, Grandparents Day? And I, mean, I think Hallmark has created all these holidays just to sell cards. I think that's really what it is. But who really deserves all our honor? Revelation 5.12 saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Jesus Christ deserves all honor. We need to be careful with jesting. Proverbs 26, 19, So is a man that deceiveth his neighbor and saith, Am I not in sport? You know, practical jokes are funny till they're not. We need to be careful. I think I told you before, that we had a young man and his wife here. He was in the Coast Guard. And I always thought all services just did inner service bantering just because we think it's normal. We all love each other, but we all just love to pick on each other because 
you have a little bit of pride in your particular service. So I found out he was a Coast Guardsman, and I called him a puddle pirate, and I expected a response back like anchor clanker or something, but he, he got offended by it and told his friend who invited him here, because this was like his second or third time here, that, that, that I was extremely rude because I called him a puddle pirate. I've tried to learn to be careful with my jesting because I can joke around and I didn't realize, I do now, that some people will get extremely offended by joking around. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just. Now the world has a misconception of what is right and wrong. Isaiah 5.20, Woe unto them to call evil good and good evil and put darkness for light and light for darkness that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We have a topsy-turvy society calling right wrong and wrong right. We call murdering a baby in the womb a woman's right. There's something wrong with that. It was interesting, yesterday at the parade, somebody was saying about the one Santa Claus rule in the parade because more than one Santa Claus would confuse children. And somebody says... I think, I, th I think it might have been Mike who said uh, that's kind of interesting because teaching them that, you know, you can be whatever you want, you know, this whole uh, gender whatever thing they're teaching them in school and all this other stuff that they're teaching in school isn't confusing children. But boy, having more than one Santa Claus will confuse children. Yes, he is omnipotent and um, omnipresent. And I have a whole message on that too. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. We give God attributes to Santa Claus, but anyhow. By the way, can I tell you a quick funny about that? We were in teen court with my kids one year, and they were doing a practice um, court session. And so they called Santa Claus to the stand, and I was playing Santa Claus that year. And so the kid's grilling me. One of the lawyers is grilling me as the... Uh, and, and he goes, well, how do you know that? I said, well, I see you when you're sleeping. I know when you're awake. And the whole crowd's like, wow, you're creepy. I said, that's what, you, that's what the song says. So I figure, you know, if I'm Santa Claus, that's how I knew. And, and they all just started, you just had to see the wheels turning like, wow, that's really creepy when a guy sitting on the stand says it. You know what I'm <laughs> Anyhow, moving on. Not doing what is right promotes sin. So what are you talking about? Listen to this verse, Ecclesiastes 8.11. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. You know, there are criminals who will get out of jail and find that it's really hard with a criminal record to get a job, so they'll do another crime just so they can go back to jail because it was more comfortable in jail. There's a problem with the system. I've heard so many people say capital punishment doesn't work. And I asked them, I said, if you were to go over to City Hall or you were to go up to the county building up in Craven, and as you were entering the building, there were some gallows and one or two bodies hanging off of it, would it make you think about your actions? Do you think it might actually make the criminals think about their actions? Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. You know why most people speed on certain roads? Because they know they can get away with it. You know why most people, I even heard people say this. I drive 
five to eight miles over the speed limit because I know the cops won't stop me. It's the same thing, folks. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, the hearts of men are setting them to do evil. There needs to be a quick sentence on crime. But it's not done that way anymore, unfortunately. Things that are just, right thoughts, are going to equal right actions. The problem is, is even justice has become muddied. Well, what is just? I think a compliment that's been given to my son by some in Havelock is that he has an um, elevated sense of justice. I was like, well, I'd take that as a compliment. Does this not make sense to you? He'll often point to a city policy and say, but the policy says. Or more important, he'll say, because this is law, the ordinance says. Yeah, but. And he goes, there are no buts. I'll be honest, folks. I'm going to say to you, I've been proud of serving with him for, for the last uh, three years. Because he does have that sense of, if it's written in law, it's written in law, period. And he will argue it until he's red in the face and other commissioners sitting there saying, but you don't understand. He goes, you're right. I don't understand. If it's the law, why can't we just follow the law? And he has had some say, I don't care what's written on that paper. I'll tell you how I feel about it. It's wrong, folks. And we need to, by the way, pay attention who's sitting in those seats because they should all say, look, you don't like it, then we'll change the law. But right now, our job is to uphold the law, and this is what the letter of the law says. Because they always want to throw at him the, there's the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Now, I understand what they mean by that, and sometimes there is uh, room for grace on something, but, you know, anyhow, we're moving on, okay? A justice, a true justice. Number four, we're moving right along. Things that are pure, pure, holy, or chaste. In this world today, there is so much filth out there. There's filth on the internet, and the TV, and advertisements. We have allowed so much filth and impurity that we've become desensitized to things, Christian, that we should stand against. Job 31.1, Job said, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? Things that are pure, holy, chaste. Are these what's on your mind? Are you thinking on things of God? Are you thinking on the Word of God? Things that are pure. Young people, keep yourself pure for your spouse, your future spouse. I know that is against what the world teaches today, but I promise you, you will not regret it. And married men and women have eyes only for your spouse, period. Don't be one of these and let your eyes wander on others. Focus on the holiness of God. Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah saw the holiness of God, it changed Isaiah's attitude toward himself, did it not? Woe am I. He saw a different Isaiah when he compared himself to the holiness of God. Here's the problem. We compare ourselves among ourselves thinking, I'm not quite as bad as Chris is, so I must be doing good. That is an impure thought. It's not a just thought. It's not a true thought. 
Because you know what? I'm every bit as wicked, if not more wicked than Chris is. My standard is not Chris. My standard is Jesus Christ, and I fall woefully short. So instead of comparing myself to others, which Paul says is not wise, because it's not, I need to compare myself to the holiness of Christ and realize how woefully short I fall. Because that is the standard of holiness. Think on things that are holy. Folks, I know we all know this verse, but how often do we apply this? Because these are the things, not suggestions, by the way. These are commands. Think on these things. Focus on these things. Christians that walk around depressed and, and doom and gloom, look, is our society falling apart at the seams? Yes, it is. But God is still on the throne. He's still holy. He's still righteous. He's still truth. He's still just. I don't have to understand what's going on to understand one thing. God is still in control. And so I don't have to fall apart because he hasn't fallen apart. He's still my father. He's still guiding me. He knows how he's going to get me through this situation. He knows how it's going to be fixed, if it's going to be fixed. And if not, one day Jesus Christ is coming back and calling us home to glory, and we won't have to worry about this mess on earth anymore anyhow. Now, I'm not saying give up and quit and roll over and play dead, but what I am saying is, you strive to do what you can while you're here being faithful to God. But folks, sometimes we can't be responsible for the results. I told you before, I had a preacher friend of mine come one day and say, I don't understand why this church isn't growing, why you don't have a buck fifty sitting in the pews. Folks, if I'm doing something wrong, and I'll tell you, I told him the same thing. If I'm doing something wrong, please show me. But it's not my responsibility to grow the church. It's my responsibility to be faithful. Jesus Christ said he will build his church. And so if he chooses for me to pastor a small church, can I say something? And I, don't, I hope this doesn't come across bragging. There were other churches in the parade yesterday. But our small crowd standing up front getting first place really did my heart well because I think everybody in this church has one goal for the glory of Christ for the glory of Christ. And you know, the first place really wasn't about us. I really believe it gave glory to God, don't you? And I think everybody standing up front yesterday realized this really isn't about us. This is giving glory to God. We still have a few minutes, so let's try to do one more. Think on things that are lovely, things that are pleasing, agreeable, Song of Solomon 5.16, Yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Jesus Christ is altogether lovely, is he not? By the way, the Song of Solomon is a great love between a husband and wife. Now, there's many pictures of Christ in the Song of Solomon, but the truth is, folks, is it is a love between a husband and wife. And is it not proper for a wife to be able to view her husband? He's altogether lovely. He is my beloved. Is it not proper for a husband to view his wife? She is altogether lovely. I probably know better than anybody in this room the faults of Susan Core. Nobody in this room knows better the faults of Jim Core than she does. But let me tell you something. In my eyes, she's altogether lovely. And I believe in her eyes, I'm altogether lovely. Because... Love covers a multitude of sins. And there's things that honestly just don't matter, folks. Watching Josh and Hannah, they think they're in love now. 
those of us that have been married a long time can laughingly say, you have no clue yet, right? If your love has been growing as it ought to be in your relationship, you can look at them and say, that's really sweet and special. I remember when we thought we loved each other too. (laughs) Now we understand what, you know, because it grows so much deeper. And they're probably thinking, how could it ever grow deeper than what it is? Because it does, right? Should not that be how our love for Christ grows? Are you more in love with Christ now than when you first were saved? Now, many, I know your testimonies, were saved out of a wicked lifestyle. You have so much to rejoice in in salvation. But as you grow in the Lord, has not your love for him increased more and more? So why do we not think on those things that are lovely? Why do we think on such evil, hating, wicked thoughts? I've shared with you some of the things I did when we were first married. And God has really helped me grow. You know, more and more, when something doesn't go right, I stop and realize, you know, I probably didn't communicate that well enough. It's not her fault, it's mine. Because sometimes, and I think all of us guys know this, right? We can give simple instructions and we expect her to know all the details in between. And then when she didn't get all the details in between, it's like, well, was it really her fault? Or was it my fault for not giving her the details, right? Folks, the Word of God should be sweet to us. If your time in the Word is not sweet and special, you really need to check your heart. Ezekiel 3.3, And he said to me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat and fill thy bowels with this rolls that I give thee. Then I did eat, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. When you are feasting on the Word of God, using the analogy, is it sweet as honey to you? What's interesting is this roll that he's eating says it's full of lamentations, woes, and mourning. There are things in the Bible that are woeful, lamenting, mourning. Some things in the book of Judges, you scratch your head and say, what? But is it still not sweet to read the Word of God and understand our Savior better? As we continue to think on what God wants us to think about, I want to challenge each of you. Are you thinking on these things? If you have not yet done so, you need to memorize Philippians 4.8. And every thought that comes across your mind, you need to capture and say, does this fit the criteria of what I'm to be dwelling on? If not, then why are you thinking about it? If there's worries and cares of this world keeping you up at night, are they things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous and praiseworthy. If not, then we need to ask the Holy Spirit to change our thinking. Ask God to change your thinking. And then, in everything we think and do, ensure that it is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. If we could apply this verse to our lives, I believe the world would see such a difference in us because our thinking would be so 
opposite of what they think. Because you take the, the opposite of each of these. That is what the world naturally thinks on. That is what your natural mind wants to think on. But the new man God's created in you wants to think on these things. So let's allow the Holy Spirit to guide our thinking.